0: Good evening and praise God from whom all blessings flow. Welcome to today's episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. All of you our wonderful listeners in the United States. Welcome back and to all of our listeners all over the world, I'm honored to have you still. Welcome everyone to Marriage and Family Clinic in Southern Virginia. You can still find us coming to you on WGPL 1350, WPC 1400 on your AM dial. Also WBXB 100.1 on your FM dial. And you can always listen live to the live stream at www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com every Tuesday evening, every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just tune in to www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com. Click on that 1350 uh, button and you can listen to the live stream. And of course, if you would like to hear this or any other broadcasts uh, in the Marriage and Family uh, Clinic series, you can find the podcast simply by searching Bishop C.D. Hodges on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Podbean. Search Bishop C.D. Hodges on any of these platforms and you'll find Marriage and Family Clinic. Marriage and Family Clinic is here to help you break down and gain enlightenment into your relationship dynamics. We hope to help you identify what makes you tick and ultimately help you repair, grow, and perfect your marriage and your family relationships. Well, last week I shared a pre-recorded interview Uh, With you, I did some months ago with my friend and my brother Bishop James Whittaker. He's gone on to be with the Lord now, Uh, left this life for eternity a couple of weeks ago. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure that he impacted everyone's life whom he met. If you met him, your life was impacted by him. It's just that simple. Uh, He was he was he was just a go getter. He was just a go getter, and and I'm just saying this again, not to be somber, but. I'm I'm so encouraged because the last time that I talked to him in person, he told me that he was ready to meet Jesus and we put it in some old school language. Uh, He let me know that his ticket was punched, had his ticket in his hand and he was ready to go. And, you know, there's no greater testimony than to be able to testify. I'm ready to meet Jesus in peace. Of everything going on, I'm ready to meet Jesus in peace. And there's nothing greater than we can hear from Jesus than to hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servants. And Brother Whitaker was faithful all the way to the end. And as I've said a couple of times already, one of the best things I can say about my brother friend is that he left it all on the field. He left it all on the field. He he, he really left this world, one of the few people who would leave this world with nothing left to accomplish. Uh, and I'm just going to continue to pray for his wife, pray for his son, pray for his daughter, pray for his church. I'll always be a friend of the family, friend of that church because he served well, meant a lot to a lot of us. And I praise God for my friend, brother, Bishop James Whitaker. All right, now I want to get back to the subject of how to love your children, part two. Let's get back to how to love your children, part two. And you know, I, I asked for your honesty before I'll do it again. I'll ask it again now and I'll ask it again in the future. But listen, come on, be honest with me. Who will admit that loving your child or loving your children, it's a challenge sometimes? Sometimes loving your children, it's a ch- it is a challenge. And, uh, uh, that's just the bottom line to it, <laughs> you know, and, and we want to help you meet that challenge there. I, I told you already that loving your child or your children, it begins with the way that you view them. And if you will love your child, like she needs to be loved, you have to view your child as a gift from God. I'm going to say that again. You have to view your child as a gift from God. Mothers, you gave birth to your gifts. You gave birth to your gift from God. Fathers, your seed became your gift. Your seed became your gift from God. And remember, no matter how they got here, no matter how they got here, once children here, once children arrive here, once children are, are conceived, once children are conceived, they are God's gift to us. Oh, did you catch that? I did not stutter. Once children are conceived, they are God's gift to us. Now, honestly, those gifts can be a handful. I'm going to admit here, those gifts can be a handful. And you know, last time we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I told you how loving your child meant figuring out the way they should go. Proverbs 22 and 6 tells us to direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. And of course, the King James Version says train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. No matter what version you speak it in, it's true anyhow. No matter what version you speak it in, it's right. It's just right. Mama and daddy, you got to train up your child in the way that they should go. And we told you, as we told you, beginning in infancy. Parents, loving your child means figuring out the way they should go. The path they should take in life. There is a path of life that suits your child's personality, his knowledge, skills, gifts, abilities, talents, her passions. And you always remember, mama and daddy, always remember, mother and father, that your path may not be the right path for your child. Your path may not be your child's path. You may have a proclivity for the logical, analytical side of thinking and living and doing. Your child may have a proclivity or disposition for the creative side of thinking, living, and doing. Your path may not be their path. Know them well enough. And and I'm stressing this because too many mamas and daddies are trying to force a path of life on their child. I know what's best for you. I know what's. Do you really? Do you really? You cannot force a path of life on your child. It's only going to make them rebel. And it's going to take them a long time to get to the place where they need to be. But you, mama, you, daddy, you're responsible to find that path, discern that path that's right for your child. And remember, your path may not be their path. So we started with loving your child in infancy and figuring out their path. And that takes you through the first, ah, nearly the first dozen years of life. And so I want to move on somewhere around the teen years today. I want to pick up on the teen years. As I already stated, children can be challenging. Loving your child can be challenging. And we might as well face it. Children are difficult. They're difficult. It's not a bad thing. It's just a true thing. Children are difficult. There's no getting around it. No denying it. It's an incontrovertible fact. Children are difficult. No matter how many books are written on raising children, it seems like the book never covers your child. And that does not mean that we don't love our children. Oh, God, no. It doesn't mean we don't love our children. Quite the contrary. Quite the contrary. We love our children dearly. We love our children with all our heart. We love our children with everything in us. Hmm. And any parent that's anywhere near decent. Any parent that's anywhere near decent would do just about anything for the good of their child or their children. You know, for these children who, for these parents, these mothers and fathers who lock the children in closets and, and chain them underground and in the basement for years at a time, those people are filled with demons. That's craziness. That's foolishness. They're not right in the mind. You can be a deadbeat dad, but still care about your child. So we love our children and children being difficult does not mean that we don't love our children. It just means the children are difficult. They're people. They're coming into their own. They have to come into their own. And so we're going to do anything for them, but be that as it may, it just doesn't change the fact that children are difficult. And for so many of us, so many of us, those teen years presents the biggest challenge. The teen years presents the biggest challenge. And quite honestly, mom and dad, you know, I I know uh, uh, I'm talking about how to love your child. But quite honestly, again, uh, my heart, my heart goes out to teens. My heart truly goes out to teens because by the time they become teens, many of them are still trying to sort out childhood trauma, pain and disappointment. By the time your child becomes a teenager, they're still trying to deal with the leftover emotional energy of things that happened to them in their childhood. By the time they become a teen, they're still trying to process, they're still trying to get this thing together mentally, psychologically, emotionally. They're still trying to figure out some things that happened to them while they were little children. Still trying to process it. And for many of the teens, for many of our teens, by the time they're 13, 14, and 15 years old, for many of them, the childhood trauma, pain, and disappointment have made what seems to be an indelible mark in their minds and in their hearts. It just seems like it has marked them. Or if this is not your child, you ought to be on your knees daily thanking God. If this is not your child, number one, you ought to thank God because it wasn't them. And number two, you ought to thank God for knowing you well enough not to put that on you because you probably couldn't handle it. But for so many of our teens, the childhood trauma, pain, and disappointment has made what seems to be an indelible mark in their minds. And some of us mothers and fathers, we found out in the child's teen years that they're angry at us because of some things that happened in their earlier years. Wave your hand at me if you found that out. Your teenager is angry because of something that you said or you did when they were five, six, seven, and 8 years old. And you're just now being clued into it when they're 15 and 16. Oh, my goodness. They take all of this. Teens take all of this into the period of life that's instinctively about your image and being accepted in the group. Wow. You want to know why my heart goes out to teens? Because number one, by the time they become teenagers, they're still trying to sort out childhood trauma, pain, and disappointment. My heart goes out to teens number two, because they take all of that. (coughs) They take all of that into this phase of life that is instinctively about your image and being accepted in the group. And for some of our teens, it's the perfect storm. It's the perfect storm. You take a child whose self-image is already suffering, and then you thrust that teen into a social setting that places too much emphasis on the self-image. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a that's a perfect storm. Combine those variables. With their already emotional immature state, the changing hormones, my God, you're gonna have a hot mess on your hands. You you and you wonder why the teen years are filled with turmoil, tumultuous? Even in the best of situations, teens are going through some, some trying times. They're experiencing their own difficulties. And it can turn into some pretty tricky and some dicey, some difficult situations for mothers and fathers as well. And I tell you what the teen does not need. The teen does not need an overbearing, judgmental, unyielding, unmerciful mother or father who has forgotten what it's like to be a teenager. My goodness, if that's you, if that is you, if you're dealing with a difficult situation with your child or your children, especially around the teen years, please, 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 please don't feel like you're all alone. You are in some good company. You are in some good company. You know, this, this, this right here always reminds me of the prodigal son. It reminds me of the prodigal son. And you know, we often get the story of the prodigal son all wrong. We get it all wrong. In Luke 15, Jesus tells multiple parables about lost things. Parables. Did I say that right? Jesus tells multiple parables about lost things. And when it comes to the lost son, we always get this parable parable of the prodigal wrong because we mistakenly think that the parable is about the son that left. The key to the meaning of the parable is not focusing on the son who left. As a matter of fact, most of the time we fail to acknowledge how messed up of an attitude the son had who stayed home. The parable actually discusses two messed up, two lost sons. Isn't that something? You can leave leave home and be lost, but you can stay home and still be lost. So the parable is not about the two lost sons. No, 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 no. Lost children are everywhere all the time. Let me say that again. Lost children are everywhere all the time. And if that's yours, you're not alone. Been going through this since the the Garden of Eden. The power and the truth of the parable of the prodigal son is the father who waited for and patiently loved both of his sons. Two sons were twisted in their hearts. Two sons were twisted in their minds. But the love of one father made the difference in two lives. There were two sons with two different sets of issues, but the father's love made the difference. Listen to what I'm trying to say to you. Listen to what I'm trying to say to you. Mom and dad, your love for your child, your love for your children is the difference maker. It's the difference maker. Hear me here. Mother, father. You loving your son, you loving your daughter will make all the difference in the world. You just got to study how to love them. Because if your child, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Excuse me. When your child gets it together, just like that prodigal son, when they get it together, I know they're rebelling now. I know they're acting a clown now, but when they get it together, just like that prodigal son, they're going to need you right there to receive them, to pick them up, to lift them, to encourage them. They're going to need you there to help put them back together. They're going to come to you broken. And they're going to need you to help put them back together. My goodness. Wayward struggling lost sons and daughters. Man, they're a dime a dozen. It's parable, not about the lost sons. The son who left or the son who stayed home struggling, rebelling sons, rebelling daughters, sons and daughters who reach their teen years and want to do their own thing and and rebel against their mother and father's house rules. You know, it's always funny to me how teens can know so much and want to be so grown, but can't can't eat without the mom and daddy buying and fixing food, have no place to stay unless they stay in their mama and daddy's house, yet they have the unmitigated gall to rebel. My heart goes out to them, but it's always funny. So yeah, wayward sons and daughters, they're a dime a dozen. And truth be told, you were probably one yourself. You were probably wayward yourself. Come on, don't hide from me now. You probably have a mother who says to you what my mother says to me every now and then. You know, um, one of my sons was a particular challenge growing up. And uh, my mother says my son was payback for the childhood I had with her. My son was payback for the issues that I had with her. And I think my mother just didn't understand me. That's all it was. (laughs) Oh, raise your hand if your mother says something like that to you. Something like that to you. Your child is payback for what you did to me. All right. All right. And come to think of it, come to think of it. I think parents run into the same issue with their children that husbands and wives have. Here's the difficulty. Parents run into the same issues that husbands and wives run into. A couple of months I I talked to you uh, uh, about divorce. And I told you that husbands and wives, they really do love each other. They really do love each other. The problem is they run into challenges. They run into conflict that they just don't know. How to love through it. My goodness. They just don't know how to love through it. And they end up giving up and throwing in the towel. And you can run into some challenges and you can run into some conflicts with your teen, And you just don't know how to love through it. But I'm promising you, I'm guaranteeing you that you loving your child is the key to your child's success. No matter what comes out of your child's mouth, you loving your child is the key to your child's success. My goodness. I know we've said a mouthful already. I know this is a lot to soak in. So let me pause. Let me pause right here for a brief moment. You know, I've been thinking for a couple of days and I just want to thank all of you who listen to us weekly on a weekly basis. I want to appreciate all of you all. You're listening from several countries around the globe. I've gotten hits from Great Britain, from Spain, Korea, of course, Japan and the United States. I've even seen a couple of hits from Ireland and Australia. Australia. I wonder what the Irish are thinking. <laughs> Forgive my Irish accent, uh, but according to uh, 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 what's the the DNA site, I can't think of it. Ancestry.com. According to Ancestry.com, I've got about eight percent Irish in me. And so I don't know. Maybe this week I'll wear a uh, kilt, <laughs> celebrate my Irish side. All right, uh, folks, you also listen to us from several states in the Union, literally coast to coast, literally coast to coast. And uh, I, I, w- I would love to visit uh, some of these places sometime. I would love to have some of your names to give you a shout out also. Uh, I know some of these places would show me a good time. My wife and I, we'd have a good vacation there and I'm going to get there. But in the meantime, I just want to pause and sincerely thank you for listening to us. All right let me get on out of here before we run out of time let me share a secret with you real quickly i want to share a secret with you by the time your child enters their teen years you are pretty much done teaching them you have to shift your parenting you really do you cannot parent your teens like you parented your youth you can't even parent your youth like you parented your toddlers you got to know how to shift and a part of loving your child is knowing how to shift with them knowing how to give them latitude, how much latitude to give them at any given time. You've had all those preteen years to make your impact, establish your influence, establish yourself as your ch- as your child's champion, your child's hero. You've had all those preteen years to do that. And I told you already uh, a couple of weeks ago that the way that you love your child in their infancy, their toddlerhood, their youth, the way that you love them demonstrates to your child that that parent-child relationship is the most magnificent thing in the world. So if your child goes off the rails in their teen years, if your child happens to rebel in their teen years, no matter what or how your child does in their teen years, if you have loved them the right way, they will find their way home because they know the parent child relationship is key. It's awesome. There's nothing like it. It's magnificent. It's their security. It's key to their success. They're going to make their way home. And listen to me now, because this is critical because, as I told you a couple of weeks ago, in those teen years, you're not doing as much teaching as you are reiterating, you're reminding, you're revisiting, you're rehashing, you're even reinforcing. You're just not doing as much teaching. It's not that you're doing no teaching, you're not doing nearly as much teaching as you think you are. You're reiterating, you're reminding, you're revisiting, you're rehashing, you're reinforcing. You've done all your teaching and training already. You got to get that done pretty much before they start school. And here's where a lot of parents, you must be careful. You must be careful right here. You're trying to make your teen behave a certain way. You're trying to make them. And it's like trying to bend steel. If you've done it right, persuading your teen won't be as difficult. If your love, if your love has not met their needs and they don't feel secure in you, don't respect you, or you haven't been in the habit of holding them accountable, you're not going to be able to make your teen do anything. And let me help somebody here. Let me help somebody. And doing all the things right, even if you've done everything right, even beginning from infancy, as we say, that does not, I repeat, that does not guarantee your child will be an angel and you will not have challenges. I'm really trying to set this thing up to make the point that you're going to have to be like that father in the parable of the prodigal. Your children are going to follow their natural, instinctive desires. They're going to find out that the grass is not greener on the other side. Your children are going to require your patience, your compassion, your long-suffering, your mercy, your grace. Hmm, sounds familiar. Oh yeah, that's it. That's how God loves us. That's how God treats us and acts towards us, isn't it? God, our Heavenly Father, is the prototypical Father. He gets it right every single time. He loves us no matter what. And he waits on us to come home to him. He waits on us to come home to him. I'm really trying to make the point that by the time your kid, your child reaches their teen years, you have to shift into a parenting style whose love waits on the child to come home. You intervene where you are allowed. You intervene where you are allowed. Oh my goodness, I wish somebody would say amen. But you're always going to have to have patience, compassion, long-suffering, mercy, and grace. That's how God parents us. But in the midst of it all, don't get me wrong now. Don't get me wrong. In the midst of all of this, one thing you never do, you never, ever, ever stop holding your child accountable. You never, ever stop holding your child accountable. Even if you have not been holding them accountable, start holding them accountable. Even if they fire off and say some foolishness like, you never kept the rules, well, I'm keeping them now. Never stop holding your child accountable you make rules. Go ahead and make them. Instruct your children on the rules. Make sure they understand the rules. And then you hold them accountable if they break the rules. Nothing a child has experienced, nothing a child has been through, nothing is, caveat, is a caveat for your child breaking the rules and not being held accountable. And I'm telling you, one of the greatest things that you can teach your child, one of the greatest ways that you can lead your child in is accountability to authority, respect for authority, accountability. And as we always tell you, that's the role of discipline. You're teaching the child to monitor himself, teaching the child to monitor herself. And you do that by holding them accountable. They're going to need you. They got to have you. You've got to have those compassionate, uh, uh, that that compassion, long suffering, mercy, grace, and patience. You got to love like God love, but you got to hold them accountable. You must hold them accountable. Oh my goodness! Hey, listen, I'm all out of time. I'm all out of time. You've been listening to Marriage and Family Clinic. Our mission here is to help you break down and gain enlightenment into your relationship dynamics. And I really believe, I honestly believe that this is going to help you identify what makes you tick and ultimately it will help you repair, grow and perfect your marriage and your family relationships. You can always listen to this episode or any other on my podcast. Just search Bishop C.D. Hodges on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio and Podbean. You can find us there. I've got to get out of here, but never ever forget. You can't have peace unless you surrender your life to the Prince of Peace. God bless you. We're out.